0: Welcome back once again to the Outcomes Rocket podcast, where we chat with today's most successful and inspiring health leaders. Today, I have the outstanding Swati Survey. She's the founder and CEO at Light Sprite a women 2.0 Seattle female founder to watch. Swati's currently leading LightSprite, a firm that combines games, machine learning, and big data to improve health outcomes for a variety of chronic health conditions. LightSprite is the first video game to win a U.S. Surgeon General Award and the only one recommended by clinics today. The firm has also received financial awards by the U.S. Army, Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, South by Southwest, Livestrong Foundation, and Singularity University, all organizations with which you all are are all familiar with, being that you're healthcare leaders. So um, throughout her career, she's had major results, and she's been identified as knowing how to set up best practices. She's been identified as a creative results-driven leader. So it's with a true pleasure that I bring Swati to the podcast and uh, give you a warm welcome. Uh, Swati, welcome.
1: Welcome. I'm really excited to be here today. Thanks for the opportunity.
0: Absolutely. Now, now, Swati, did I leave anything out in that intro that maybe you want to chat with us about?
1: Sure. I think one of the interesting things about my focus in healthcare has been um, I've been working in the space of what's now called digital health before there was actual term for it. So um, I'll go and date myself. But (laughs) back in the late 90s, early 2000s, I was working with wearable technologies back then. And my interest, I'm a biomedical engineer by training, and really my interest back then was the applications of technology, but at the patient side. Because what I was seeing Mm -hmm. is a lot of applications on the enterprise internally or big diagnostic systems. I had started my career at Eastman Kodak. And at the time, they were a big provider of uh, radiology imaging. So I worked in the research labs there and we were our cool. the task of the group was an innovation center and we were tasked to look at and identify what's considered greenfield or white space opportunities. So I was looking at the space, I said, well no one's really looking at how all these really interesting technologies at the time, the web or even somewhat kind of remote monitoring devices were being applied in a home care setting or in a consumer setting. So I had started looking at this emerging field of wearables back then. There were some efforts around remote patient monitoring in the home. So I was looking at digital health applications well before anyone was really even thinking about them. And that kind of continued throughout my career. I I was the first person Nike had hired to do wearable tech in 2001. My patents were the first... Yeah, very cool. First for the company, actually. And then that kind of continued when I went to Microsoft. And about eight years ago, I was looking at the applications of artificial intelligence, machine learning to healthcare data sets. And that was in 2011 now, so seven, eight years ago. So, so I'm, not a, I'm not a stranger to healthcare, and I'm certainly not a stranger to a lot of the technologies that people are talking about today.
0: I think it's neat that you've sort of gone along this winding road with different consumer goods companies, and now you're on your new venture with LifeSprite. What would you say, Swati, is a hot topic that needs to be on every medical leader's agenda today? And how are you guys addressing it?
1: Sure. Quite often because of the work that we do, we find ourselves in a position where it's a consult, we're either getting consulted or we find ourselves in a position where we're Unintentionally, we end up being thought leaders, or we find out, well, gee, no one's been doing it
0: before, yeah.
1: <laughs> which is kind of interesting. And it's not us saying it, it's people who come to us, whether we get a call from a payer or a provider saying, We've never seen anything like what you're doing. And Which is
0: pretty more, cool, right?
1: Uh, it's a double edged sword. Yeah, it's cool if you like that. You have to be comfortable with it. <laughs> yeah. But no, I, I think it's cool. And one of the things that we're seeing, in the conversations that we're having with providers, payers, and understandably so, and particularly with the interventions that we have. If you're talking about any intervention that gets integrated into a patient care plan or in the hospital or a clinic or is going to be part of an outcomes-based plan, a capitated model in a payer's trying to, or is a payer's trying to meet a capitated plan by a, by a state government, well, one of the things they need to understand what your podcast talks about is outcomes. Yep. So we get asked about outcomes all the time. And it's been interesting. And my clinician, Dr. David Cooper, one of his previous roles was working in the Department of Defense on mobile health apps for the military. And so he's very, very familiar with evidence because he's also looked at evidence and what's appropriate and what's not, what's considered Reasonable at this stage of the industry of digital health because it's still fairly nascent relative to others. So, we find ourselves getting asked, and what we think about a lot is appropriate levels of evidence because clearly, if anything is invasive, you know, the more invasive it is, the higher levels of evidence that are going to be acquired and understandably mm-hmm. so to mitigate patient harm. I think one of the things that trips up people with digital health, especially, and I see this a lot with providers that may be tasked with go get innovation and bring it into my system, right? Or a payer that's looking for new solutions because the previous ones haven't been able to demonstrate outcomes or there's no... They're not getting engagement. It may be a patient engagement solution and they're not getting engagement, so they're looking for new stuff. And so we see a lot of people struggling with that question. Well, how do I know this is going to work? How do I know this isn't going to hurt someone? And then quite often, what they'll do is they'll retract to the most conservative position, which is not wrong, but at times it can be in direct conflict with innovation because innovation is inherently unknown. It is exploring and it is risky. And, in fact, a long time ago, when I say a long time ago, around I think what twenty eleven or so, but I think it's still the same, that NSF and the NIH was very prescient and actually they had this day long discussion about the fact that even perhaps the clinical trial model may not be appropriate for accelerating digital health innovations, because the reality of it is is digital health changes rapidly. I mean, look at how ma- does your cell phone from three years ago probably cannot do the things that then your new cell phone, the latest models do. Oh, They're it's
0: good. dated. Yeah.
1: Dated. Yeah. And if you had, it, if someone gave you a cell phone from three years ago now, you'd be like, I don't want this. Please because don't. I don't want yes. it. Yes. <laughs> the functionality and capability that I'm used to. Right. And so mm-hmm. the innovation cycles and capabilities change so much. And as it's a, a result, game different game, people have different expectations, they have different usage pattern, and, and their usage of technology and reliance of technology changes. So so, what's appropriate level of evidence that you can maintain and ensure patient safety and risk is not is not being compromised, but at the same time, you're able to keep up with the innovation cycles and take advantage of the innovations in these rapid cycles that the technology does allow you to do. I think that's, a, that's an inherent kind of conflict. And I think each organization needs to kind of figure out where they want to be on that, that continuum.
0: Yeah, I think that's really, really insightful, Swati. And as manufacturers and industry starts looking at, at digital technologies, I mean, number one, this is where the puck is going. If you're not currently working on a project that's integrating technology and data insights, you're going to get left behind. <laughs> if you're not, then you're going to get left behind, period. So those of you that are, the insights that Swati's talking about is, are actually very, very interesting, right? Because if you're a traditional med device manufacturer, for example, or a pharma company, that you have these long cycle approval ways, it's not going to be the same or necessarily the right way to do a digital health application. Really insightful, Swati. And so what are the things that you have found on your journey through some of the things that you've done, for example, for this, uh, this mental health platform that you, you're currently working on?
1: What have we done relative to evidence or just yeah. in general to prove it out?
0: Evidence and then also outcomes that have come as a result of the platform.
1: Yeah. So it's an opportunity, but it's also, you know, as long with opportunity, there are risks, right? So there's right. always that case. So as we talked about, one of the opportunities in digital health is it allows you to accelerate and get products and impact patients a lot quicker and improve mm-hmm. patients' lives and get outcomes out there. It also allows you to test very quickly what doesn't work. And they, they talk about that in, in a lot of the other industries about failing fast, right? Mm-hmm. And there's, there's consequences of failing fast in healthcare. So you have to, I think, be measured about it. But one of the things we did, because it, it allowed us, as we tested our product, I mean, we have a, for the listeners who aren't familiar with LightSprite, we have a mental health video game called Cinesprite. And what it does is it teaches a combination of evidence-based treatment methods to players. And it's through a protagonist, Socks the Fox, who wants to become a <laughs> sin Master. So it's a, it's a rather unusual construct, fun. right? It's fun. It's a little irreverent, maybe childish for some. Who are very used to a allopathic method and a very very direct method of delivering healthcare, but Mm -hmm. more often than not, one of the things we've discovered. So, so you're coming off of the premise of that, and it's a game. And you know, I've talked to some of my advisors and board members, and for a lot of people in healthcare, game means it's not serious, and it's it's somewhat dismissive, Mm. and that's okay. But here's the thing, and it's been shown time and time again. A gaming construct is a place where and Jane McGonigal has written about this and it's been talked about by gaming experts. It's a comfortable place where people can learn and fail, right? Oh, yeah. And another other aspect of constructive game that people come up and conjures is this teenage boy in the basement playing these hyper violent games and and that's not really gaming today. Gaming today is a the average gamer is a 40-year-old woman. Is that right? And yeah, and wow. it's the I had advent, no idea. The advent of mobile games. In fact, cool. I think a a year or two ago, it was the first time that they did a, a down forecast for consoles. So just even understanding what a game and a construct is, but the reality of it is is we didn't know if this mm. would work, right? Even though we yeah. have all this data. Is someone going to resonate with this? Is it going to resonate? We had our hypotheses. So you have to do this traditional product testing. And we did it in a lean methodology, meaning that once we had enough of a product out there that we could start to get feedback and player feedback, we would continue to build and grow on it. But one of the things we started to do along with that, and it's kind of tricky to do, but we started collecting clinical evidence. So that's one of the unique things that we did was we didn't wait for the product to get built to its 100% level we said we're going to start building it out but it impacted our product development in the sense it slowed that down because we couldn't necessarily change implement changes that would radically alter the experience that's another thing you have to kind of worry about with innovation if you can change things quickly and some if you can change things quickly and you're running a test then how much do you change before you're really actually altering the impact right and some some digital health companies have said you know what we're not doing clinical testing at all we're not going to go down the outcomes path we're just going for commercialization so some digital health companies have decided that others have taken the other route which is no we're going to go do a completely full randomized clinical control trial We're going to wait eight years for our results to come out, right? And then there's going to be a continuum that I think you're going to continue to see. So what we did was we said, okay, well, we'll have a a good enough baseline product. We're going to go out there and test it, and we're going to do minimal increments, things that we know probably won't impact the overall usage or engagement, or and then look at the clinical measures. So that was one of the things that we did differently, and that resulted in a publication earlier this year that Ohio State's College of Pharmacy, so we enlisted the the help, the College of Pharmacy for a mental health video game to look at its improvements and impact, and that was published in JAMR, the Journal of Internet Medical Research, just earlier this year.
0: Very cool. Yeah, and it's it's interesting, right? There's a spectrum that you could take, and it's really... There's no one-size-fits-all strategy. You really kind of have to figure out where you're going to come up with your approval pathway. Yeah,
1: and it will be different because that's another really cool thing about digital health. There are all kinds of approaches you can take mm-hmm. and you know to solve the problem because you have so many tools that will allow you to scale something, but depending on what you end up choosing to do, your level of evidence will be different and how you test it will be different. So, and it may not require testing at all. I mean, if it's a, not in a pejorative sense, but if it's a a scheduling app, do you really need to show that you're improving ROI by X, Y, Z, or is it just a a patient satisfaction net promoter score, or is it workflow efficiency, right? Mm -hmm. And, And those are maybe three totally different metrics, and it's going to be up to the organization. What are they optimizing for? Your metrics and what you're asking for should optimize to your end objective.
0: Yep. And I think that's a really great call out.
1: So, I mean, it may be none of those. It may just be, hey, look, it's a marketing <laughs> thing. It's a competitive advantage all right. because none of our competitors locally are offering this. So we don't need evidence. We need to just get it out there and make sure that our patients are aware of it and create stickiness. Like, you can go all over the map with this. Stuff.
0: Yep. And yeah, it's, so it's workflow, it's clinical practice. Is it at home? Is it at the hospital? All these things come into consideration. And so Swati, what would you say a time that you had a setback, a big learning that you got out of that setback? You want to share it with us?
1: Well, you know, it's a really interesting question. And I think it's an important one to raise, especially for us in healthcare, because we're not typically allowed to fail or even discuss failure, because it usually has big risk Applications, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, big <laughs> so ones. It's,
1: it's big ones, right? So it's great, but you know, I was—it was just actually last week I was particularly frustrated about way, where things were with our company, and I was tired. You—if you have know, ever done a startup, <laughs> it's exhausting. Yeah. And I was in one of those moments. It was late at night, and it was eleven o'clock. I was just exhausted from the day. And I was talking to my friend at Nike. He actually—it's the kind of interesting story. He started Brand Jordan for the company, so he's oh a, wow, a veteran. that's pretty yeah. cool. Yeah, he's a veteran who's been around for a long time, and and so he was like, "Spot, that you look. You know, what, when we were starting Jordan, you know, I was asking a lot of players in the NBA, what's the deal like about Michael?" And there was a player i grew up in chicago so i know all the players so he's like there's this player bj armstrong and i remember bj oh
0: did you grow up in chicago
1: i did oh I did. cool
0: awesome yeah. you know that's where i'm based right
1: no i didn't
0: no. <laughs> yeah hey okay, I, knew so I, I knew i knew i liked you for a reason i knew i liked you for a reason <laughs>
1: yeah Western <laughs> sensibility comes out of me a lot I mean, it's probably very conversational, which is kind of weird for a lot of people out on the West Coast or the East Coast.
0: <laughs> That's funny. So he well, was asking these players, right?
1: Yeah, and he's asking BJ. He's like, and BJ said, "You know, here's the thing about Michael. He either wins or he learns something. He doesn't lose. Yeah. So losing and fail- failure is when you have. It. And I think this is really true for innovation." it's a failure is when you haven't taken a time to get a lesson or learn something and you should inherently, that's what it should inherently be is your learning. And if you're not, if you're in an innovation role and you're not learning, you're not innovating because you should either be winning or learning. And if your leadership isn't encouraging that, then you really have to ask yourself, do they really want innovation? Because the other thing about healthcare is people say they want innovation and then you give it to them and then they just turn around and run the other way. So if you're in a situation like that, then you really have to ask yourself, are you really innovating and do you really want to innovate? And it's okay to say, hey, we don't want innovation. It's okay to say that because for a variety of factors. Your business model may not support it. Your culture may not support it. And trust me, I've been in rooms and I've been in presentations and I've given it and I've seen my fair share of hostility. I've seen my fair share of discomfort. It's just, you just don't have people in the room that are temperamentally suited for innovation. It's all okay but you just have to be very, very self-aware on where you are. But if you really are innovating, you're learning. So I think for us, if you want to put it in that frame and our biggest learning opportunity, right? One of the biggest, and it's not really even a failure because in fact, we're actually, I think we're leading the way because we get asked a lot. And I'm happy okay. to talk about is around reimbursement. And that's one as another area I, I don't think people yet have gotten an appreciation for. This is one that's coming up because rules are even changing. Regulatory is coming up now where it's encouraging the adoption now. And right now, in fact, there's a call by CMS to comment on upcoming, they have got an upcoming telehealth uh, changes to telehealth coding for 2019 and they're encouraging comments. I was just talking to the CMS folks just last week and they said, please comment on this because we're not experts and we need to hear from the innovators. So we may not know about new technology applications and interventions, so please comment. So one of the areas of learning for us, even as we're going through this is, for example, we we never thought our solution could be reimbursable, but what through the partners that we were working with, they started coding and billing against certain codes. And we are like, oh, wait a minute. You can bill against this? You can bill? And they're like, yeah. So we started working then with our current, the provide clinic partners that we're working with. We started talking to billing experts. We started um, engaging with other payers we were working with to come up with a schedule of codes. And we even started talking to people at CMS saying, hey, can you help us understand some of the coding here? So that's actually a learning for us that we're now we get asked by digital health companies when we tell providers, that, hey, we're reimbursable. They're like, you're reimb- really? You're reimbursable or payers? They get really excited and, and they're yeah. like, okay, you're speaking our language. You actually understand the world that we're part of. Now, are we going to be right on this? No, maybe not. It may not be applicable, frankly, to some people, some providers or payers, they'll be like, because they're in a state that's very restrictive, what they don't, it may not. And we tell them, we say, look, we don't, you have to talk to your provider, you have to talk to your health agents, your state agencies. Um, You know, we work with some some payers that have have gone to their their own respective Medicaid governments and said, hey, we want to use this program. Will it be reimbursable? And they've gotten the reimbursement, right, Mm
0: -hmm. or the
1: approval to use the program in care. So we'll work with providers and payers hand in hand. And we're taking active efforts now to see if there's even ways that we can even help reduce that friction But we tell payers, and I can see the discomfort that comes in, right? Because this is so unknown. It's the discomfort of the unknown. They're like, well, we don't know if they're going to reimburse. We want the solution, but then it's more work because we have to go back to the insurance company. It's going to be a pain, blah, 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 right? But we tell them up front, here's a schedule of codes, depending on your care setting that you can use, and please check with your provider. It may or may not be applicable, but here's a path forward. I think that's
0: interesting. And for the folks listening that have uh, digital therapeutics uh, or mobile technologies, you're going to want to know some more about how to get in touch with Swati and the work that her and her team are up to because you're more than likely are like, oh my gosh, I want these codes. (laughs) So we'll give you a way to get in touch with her here at the end of the podcast. What would you say one of your proudest medical leadership experiences is to date, Swati? You
1: know, and I know it's going to be really cliche, but I would tell you, you know, when we first started, I started the company in twenty thirteen. And at the time nobody was really thinking about gaming applications and healthcare. And like I said, nobody even knew it was gonna work. I'd always get, Well, how is this gonna work? And you really think people are gonna use this? And then even our own team had internally assumptions of who it was gonna work for. And and I think the most proudest moment was getting that initial player feedback. We were working with a clinic out in Arizona. It was Arizona's first integrated behavioral health clinic, and they gave it to their patients. And these are patients with a relatively high utilization. So there's some of the more complex cases. And we got the feedback. They started using the app within three and within three weeks we got feedback, which is, you know, back to that as I mentioned before, we were testing looking at qualitative feedback, but clinical. And the qualitative feedback that came back was just astounding that we received. And these were, what was interesting is that it just blew out any assumptions that we had of Mm -hmm. who was going to use it. It was a wide age range of people, men and women in their mid-40s to early 50s to early 20s. Then, and what was even more interesting was the patient population that we're impacting. These were people with PTSD, severe depression, as well as bipolar, substance abuse. And within three weeks of using the app, they were saying things like, it's life-changing, it's their inspiration every morning, everyone should get it. And that was the first set. You know, and as a scientist or engineer, like, okay. And even though it was a group of them, they're like, and we, you know, started to learn that, gee, it's going to impact people beyond just the mild to moderate. This actually has impact on the people that have more of the complex cases, and they're thus the higher costs. But in my the back of my head, I'm still thinking, okay, well, imposter syndrome sets in. It's like, well, maybe it's not real, or it's just a one off. Yeah. And yet, over the years, it's consistent. Well, That's what's been the striking thing—the feedback that we get. And I hear this, and I've just heard, I just heard it a few months ago from people about. Some of the most difficult to reach cases is where you've been able to make some pretty amazing head inroads into along with helping a general population. Is so, that where your
0: uh, the award from the US Army came in with the PTSD?
1: Yeah, we were um working with Vatican Army Yeah, so we they were our first deployment ever. It was in a, our first deployment ever. We had a public beta, but our first real clinical deployment was in a military complex, which was really interesting. Yeah, they were really big supporters of ours. So it was the Army. This is on base, so it's not even veterans. This is active military. Active
0: duty, yeah.
1: Active duty and their dependents. And what's kind of interesting about Madigan is, and people don't realize this, it's a young population Mm because they're active duty. And they mirror the U.S. population. So it was a great site. But what's the other thing is that it's families, lots of families there. So a lot of young families that gotcha. are in treatment at Madigan.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And it's, it's not what you think of if you think about Army. That's not what you think of immediately. Yeah. But that's who we were dealing with. So it's, again, putting aside preconceived notions when you hear something. But that was our first deployment and um, we were working and the clinical results of that study got us the Surgeon General Award.
0: That's awesome. So how how did that whole thing even happen? Like how did you get hooked up with the army to do this?
1: So this is an example of where networks and innovation networks are really important. We knew another startup in, we're Seattle, we're West Coast based. So we knew a startup in the healthcare community and we were somewhat known and she met a colonel there, Colonel David McCune. That's cool. Who was an oncologist, and I think they huh. were either on a panel together or she heard him speak Amazing. at a a science, <laughs> uh, like a life sciences, like a industry event here locally. And when she found out what he was trying to do, which is promote innovation in the military complex, she said, "Hey, you should talk to this company here locally." And that's how we got connected.
0: Amazing. Yeah, that's cool. And that's the beauty of it. And thanks for sharing that. Swati. congrats on that. The difference that you and your team are making is outstanding. And um, the awards aside, the lives that you guys are impacting are, are super, super amazing. And then also just the message behind the message being that you have to connect the silos, folks. And part of what we do here on the Outcomes Rocket is put people together to share their story so that we could have these conversations to make a difference. And um, much like the story that Swati just shared, the local startup that met the colonel that then made an intro, this is what we all should be doing to move the needle forward. And Swati, this is awesome that, that you guys were able to actually take that introduction and put some good work forward to help the lives of these uh, young, young folks, not just men, it's women that are going through this stuff.
1: Thank you. And um, if anyone's interested in what we're doing and wanting to learn more, or if you have a population that has behavioral health needs, give us a ring because I think we've been able to help a lot of people and we want to help a lot more and we're not going to be able to do it alone.
0: That's awesome. Now, Swati, if they do, what's the best place for them to get in touch with you at?
1: They can email me directly. So I'm at swati at lightsprite.com S W A T isn't Tom E as an elephant. E as an elephant at lightsprite.com.
0: Awesome. And so folks, we'll also leave that email address as well as links to SWATI's company. Just go to outcomesrocket.help slash lightsprite. And you'll be able to find it there. Getting close to the end here, Swati, let's pretend you and I are building a medical leadership course on what it takes to be successful in the business of healthcare, the 101 of Swati survey. And so I've got four questions for you, lightning round style, followed by a book that you recommend to the listeners. You ready? Yeah. All right. What's the best way to improve healthcare outcomes?
1: Build technology that truly empowers patients on what they really need.
0: What's the biggest mistake or pitfall to avoid?
1: Unintentionally applying old frameworks and expectations to new scenarios.
0: How do you stay relevant as an organization despite constant change?
1: You have to constantly learn. And you have to learn from all different types of sources.
0: Love that. What's one area of focus that drives everything in your organization?
1: What do our end users Patients or clinicians really want and need.
0: What book would you recommend to the listeners, Swati?
1: So this is going to be probably a out of the left field, but um,
0: <laughs> let's hear it.
1: I would actually recommend there are two books of poetry that I would actually recommend. One is by Pat Inglesby, "Half a Hug." It was he has a bunch of them. He's this Irish poet. That's one, and then a more contemporary version is by Rupi Kaur, K-A-U-R. And it is uh, called The Sun and Her Flowers. It's her second collection of poetry. She's Canadian based. So I think that's actually very, both of those are interesting because you talk about one of the things that poetry does is it describes something in in a way with words that's unexpected.
0: Mm -hmm. Right, So it's
1: about changing your mind, changing your frame. Yeah. So poetry is a really easy, accessible way. I think that you can start changing your mind because they start describing events, experiences in an evocative way, not a direct way. And I think that helps you with innovation. You need to be able to see things from different perspectives, different angles, different lenses. That means you need to be able to change your mindset and your frame.
0: Super. I love that. That's a, a definitely left field but awesome. <laughs> and uh, and I think a a really interesting way to do that. I'll definitely be picking up one of these Swati, so thank you for that. Yeah, and, you'll have uh,
1: to let you'll have to let me know. They're so super I, the poems are short so
0: good and so if i choose one of them which one should i choose out of the two that you discussed
1: i don't know toss up pats was the first book i i ever did pick up and i still haven't even actually finished it but Uh i just like literally what i'll do is i'll just open the book up and read one of the poems that's how i I don't even read it in order
0: Um, like a desk reference right
1: yeah 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 i kind of like what's the word of the day kind of thing yeah yeah i haven't finished rupees this is a new book of hers i did up And so I haven't actually gone through with it. That's kind of more, she's a Asian American, Asian immigrant, like I am. So it adds more personal meaning, but in terms of like like really helping me enjoy the evocativeness of words, it was Pat Inglesby. So,
0: okay. Very cool. Well, we'll be picking one of those up. Definitely will connect with you on that. And listeners, you do the same. Keep your mind open, reframe. This is the way that we are going to change outcomes in, in healthcare. Before we conclude, Swati, I'd love if you could just share a closing thought with the listeners and then the best place that they could get in touch with you.
1: I think it's innovation is hard no matter what where you're sitting on the spectrum, whether you're a healthcare leader internally making decisions to someone who's been tasked to identify solutions to whether you're the innovator in the space creating the solution. And you might be all of them, right? (laughs) Mm -hmm. So I think it's just really important to... I would say, and, and not in a pejorative sense, but just check yourself and see where are you at on that innovation spectrum. Are you asking for things that are, are reasonable or appropriate or are your expectations reasonable and appropriate at that stage? And if not, then what can you do? Or if you need that, if you need that type of information, then what can you actually do to help further that? What can you do to roll up your sleeve and become an active participant rather than a sideline critic?
0: Love that, Swati. And uh, you've you've provided your email to us. So appreciate that. We'll include that in the notes. You've left us with a lot to think about. So we appreciate that. And thank you for making time to spend with us uh, today and looking forward to staying in touch. Thank you.